Fly, Eagles, fly. Oh, that was weird. I don't know what noise that was, but that's officially the sound of the Eagles beating the Giants after it didn't look like either team wanted to win. Eagles go on under the incredible foot of Jake Elliott, 61 yards right in your stupid New York faces. When you didn't even think it was possible. He puts it in. His parents are crying on the internet. Joel Embiid is going crazy. Doug Peterson is making bad calls, but it doesn't matter. And the Eagles are 2-1 and one with two wins in the NFC East. Russell Joy, Kyle Scott, I'm Adam Lefko. Let's talk football. Did you just go Chris Berman on us? Divorcee was... this morning. And Thanks, guys. Oh, yeah. This is what happens when you're yelling at work because of games. Eagles, yeah. I know both of you Dude, guys are very excited. I would like Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Awesome. Sorry. Absolutely awesome finish. First exciting uh, Philly sports game, I think, since January when the Sixers went on their little run. It's been a while. I can't remember the last time I was in front of my TV with my hands up over a Philly sports team. Uh, if we don't want to include Villanova in that. Awesome finish. Awesome, exciting game. Incredible fourth quarter. Sports are back. And then so we could we could revel in this for a few minutes and then we could absolutely trash both of those coaches because that was that was that was abysmal what happened. Uh, neither of those teams should have won the game. After the missed field goal yesterday, I said to investor Jeff, listen, dude, like this guy's gonna be good. He's a good kicker. And what happened? He goes on and he kicks the longest field goal in Philadelphia Eagles history, the seventh longest field goal so in the history of the of NFL. Your Slack message: You're taking credit for the kid's 61-yard field. I'm goal? saying that that the kid <laughs> had a lot of leg, and I'm very excited that he stepped up to the plate big time and crushed it. I, I do think it was. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw it on first glance or if it was the instant replay that did it. That the ball just barely nicked the inside of the right upright, and I have to say that. Uh, Adam, at the end of the last podcast, you mentioned about how your dad was really excited because you had said over the summer that we hit rock bottom. These are the kind of bounces that Philadelphia teams have not been getting for the last, what, five years? And now to start seeing some of these things coming up, Philadelphia, it's fantastic. And watching the joyful exuberance on the face of Joel Embiid as that ball went through the, uh, through the uprights was, man, I, I don't know. It, it, it's just a great feeling it, to be a Philadelphia sports fan. Russ, when is your birthday? Today. Happy birthday, Russ. Oh, happy birthday. Thanks, guys. Everyone out there, everyone out there, please give us a moment of silence uh, for Russ on his birthday. It's a a time-honored podcast tradition, and today we'd like to honor Joel Embiid's knees and the birth of Russ, who turns 18 today. (laughs) Please, no laughing. Thank you. Um, Apologies. Overall, uh, yes, hold on. So, Kyle, I always forget. What were our predictions? What did we say on Friday? Did we look smart or did we look dumb? Well, well, Russ predicted an over-under of 702, so. I know you're not good with math. I have them written down. Do you have them? I'll I'll get the people. Kyle had 23-18 Eagles. Adam had 19-17 Giants. I said 42-24 Eagles, and then I hedged and and said 30-17 Eagles. And the only person that had the, either of these teams going over 24. Uh, so my initial prediction was stupid. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, it, it wasn't this low-scoring defensive slug slugfest. It was, yes, it was. It, what are you yeah, talking yeah, about? Yeah, it was 14 it was, nothing it was, in the fourth quarter. 
Russ. The end. The end of the game. It, it blew up. open. Russ. Russ. It blew. It blew open because it was a hundred degrees on the field, and both of the defenses couldn't stand up. And uh, it Odell was. Beckham made two ridiculous catches, and Zach Ertz fumbled inside their own red zone. Dude, it was fourteen nothing in the fourth quarter. And then it blew open. They scored points. It's exciting. It, it was. It was. It was a super exciting fourth quarter. I was actually. I tweeted Adam uh, after Sterling Shepard's 50-yard slant route and just just the word slant because I think honestly Adam I think you your prediction nailed it in, t- in not in terms of the outcome you said first team to hit 20 would win and for a second there it was the Shepard touchdown that put the Giants right at 20 and it was 20 to 14 until they kicked the extra point like that looked like it was going to be the icing on the cake. Uh, Eagles impressively came back. Both teams came back, kicked field goals. Obviously, the Eagles won the game. But I think um, I think your analysis was spot on. I had impending sense of doom for a large portion of the game. I tweeted out that this is going to be one of those games they lose in horrific fashion. And tweet was doing really well. And then after the Eagles won, I of course the trolls came out of the woodwork and are like bashing me because in the second quarter I said I was feeling down about the way this could turn out but anyone watching that game that was one of those games the Eagles typically lose and like just a spear to the heart uh the fact that they came back I mean I you got to give Carson Wentz all the credit in the world because uh they kept coming I put them in in a position to win the game uh kicker came up big but at the end of the day like I I don't the Eagles they deserve to win, but they Did shouldn't they? have won. Uh, does that make sense? I don't know if they deserve to win, but... Well, they clearly yeah, like did. I, 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 I think uh, the fact that they won a game missing Cox, Hicks, Sproles, for, and then I'm watching McLeod. Peters waddling off. Um, that was unbelievable. I mean, the, the Eagles defense, I know they let up those two touchdowns, but I know one of them was on a short field. Uh, and then the Sterling one was really an incredible throw by Eli to fit it between like those defenders like that, and then it just a bad angle there by Maragos to also be down McLeod to also be down all the corners. That that's an incredible team win to get that. Um, at the same point, there was calls by Peterson and McAdoo that we keep tiptoeing around right now. McAdoo, I mean, we. I was looking at people, I was sitting there with Giants fans during the game, and I'm going, both of these coaches are trying to get fired today. Like, this is, this, the, the decision-making by these guys are awful. Uh, the, the fourth and eight on the 43 is the one that, that I got a Bob Ford column in the Inquirer. Uh, that is the one that Carson Wentz got sacked on in the first half uh, that Doug Peterson is apparently defending his analytics guy. Yeah, so uh, what was the quote there? Yeah, so here's how Peterson explained it. And I think we should probably couch to people here like we're excited. This was a this is a great win. I don't know if in terms of discussion like what else there is to talk about other than the fact that it was super exciting, was, incredible fourth the, quarter. The so is, now we're going to go into the negatives. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I was going to say was um when they were attempting that Jake Elliott field goal I will just tell you that I was nervous and the Giants fans were excited because Odell was standing under the crossbar and there was no chance that any of us thought that this kid was going to hit a 61-yard field goal. None. And we were concerned because Sims was going, this is really dangerous for the Eagles. You have no fast guys in the field. Your fastest guys are Zach Ertz and Brent Selleck and Odell could have the entire field to run. 
like I was nervous and and it, when he hit it we were just we, we, could, we couldn't stop laughing so that was the only other positive but the running game where we'll get into but let's talk about the Doug Peterson one because that's what everyone's going to talk about today that right, Beckham so move might have been the only good coaching decision that was made by the Giants that entire day because originally before they even called the uh, the ice the kicker timeout that didn't even like didn't even wait for him to you know come up to the ball like the the appropriate timing for icing the kicker um they they had drc out there initially and it wasn't until after they called the the timeout that they actually put beckham out there but yeah same thought i think had to go through everybody's mind like reverse miracle at the meadowlands kind of setup and well it- I'll add that it was poetic that uh, he got to watch that ball go through the uprights right above his head and leave in stunned silence. Fuck that guy, seriously. I mean, he scores his first touchdown in a game where the team is getting uh, bludgeoned offensively. Now, obviously, he went on to make more than one big play, but you're you know you're pissing on the field and then you're up there on the bench yelling at Eagles fans because you scored one touchdown and you're still losing at that point. Like, go fuck that guy. Anyway, Doug Peterson's quote. Here's Doug Peterson describing the fourth and eight. Uh, call at the end of the first half. Quote, it was something that I discussed with the guy that's helping me upstairs with some of the analytics. Bullshit. And where we were on the field and what we were doing offensively at the time, Peterson said, the defense is playing extremely well, had an opportunity to keep ourselves on the field at that time, so I elected to go for it at that point. Obviously, we didn't get it and the defense held. I stand by my decision. Um, I'll toss it to you guys, other than the fact that I can't imagine there's any analytics abacus on the planet that tells you that there's a high probability of going for it on fourth and eight, let alone factoring in the fact that you're up seven at the end of the first half, playing against a team that couldn't get anything going offensively, and you could have pinned them back and required them to go at least 75 yards in two minutes to get a touchdown. Uh, I... Fireable offense. Like, honest to God, that's a fireable offense. And those are the decisions that will lose the, that have lost the Eagles games and will continue to lose them games and, quite honestly, should have lost them the game yesterday. I want you to take that sound that you made that, uh, uh, and, like, put it on loop for about 10 minutes because I think that's, that's what the analytics guy said to Doug in, in his ear. There's, there is no rationale whatsoever. Unless, like, you're playing Madden and you have it set to, like, the Madden recommended like three plays and you have it on like risky calling or something. It, it Fourth and eight at midfield. I don't know if I've ever seen a coach go for it in the first half like that. And it wasn't, and again, like we've, we've already talked about this, but the defense was missing plenty of guys going into that game. And I think at that point they had already lost one or two other starters. Like why you wouldn't just pin the giants back. You know, Donnie Jones had a punt early in the game that three gunners went down and still managed to to botch the whole thing. It looked like bad news bears out there. Um, the fact that you yeah, got that a was great, a freak like, thing though. The, I'm not going to bash him for that. That was a you know they sort of panicked it was a, and made a it mistake. Was, it, was, it was stupid. You had three guys there. You only need yeah. one. Um, but what I'm saying is like you already managed to do that once in a game. There's no reason that you don't pin the Giants back at the one. It it just I I don't get it. Like I I know that I guess he subscribes to the to like the old theory about fourth downs and. And I, I don't I don't know, like, I guess the idea that maybe he was so unsure of his defense being able to defend the length of the field that it was like, just no, go for I think it's it. but like, I don't opposite. I don't get it. It was just it was yeah. just it was just dumb and poorly conceived because you see Doug go out. He makes the stupid call and Eagles fans are saying we have the dumbest coach in the world. And then the Giants fans say, hold my beer. Yeah, there's an epidemic going on in the NFL of coaches for some reason 
not understanding game situation and going for it on fourth down. Uh, I believe it's because it's a lot of former offensive coordinators becoming coaches and thus they're more aggressive. I've just seen it so many times these last few weeks uh, of these really aggressive coaches where it's a really close game and let's say, fine, you know what? If you're the team, if you're not, wor- if you're worried about your defense, then are you going to give your defense the ball at the 50 or are you going to pin them deep and play field position games? Uh, for, it's just also wildly ironic that the Eagles went for it on fourth and eight on the 43 and didn't get it. And then later the ball was at the 43 when Jake Elliott kicked the field goal. I just found that to be very ironic. I also worried, my dad said this to me last week. He goes, Adam, do you think Doug Peterson is listening to the fans? And I went, there's no way. But all I know is he benched Isaac Samalo and then ran it the most times that he ever has in a decision that he made earlier in the week 33 times. And I'm sitting there and I'm starting to go, man, maybe he is listening to the to the fans. I will say this, LeGarrette Blunt. Fuck yeah, dude. That's exactly why you were in. And I'll be honest, if it's because they didn't run you at all in Kansas City, well then guess what? Like Garrett Blunt, you're not playing every other game. And we're just going to save up all your energy for every other game to get moments like that. Because that was fantastic. Number two, Alshon Jeffrey, hell to the yes. That last play is exactly why you get Alshon Jeffrey. To catch it. Out of bounds, 19 yards, set up the play. I also think that it's very ironic that a really bad shanked Giants punt, when everyone looks at each other at the end of the game and goes, it probably doesn't matter anyway. They're too far out of field goal range, set up that position. Uh, And the Eagles defense, I know they let up those 21 points, but they were so good the entire game. The Giants running game didn't even exist. They were all over it. Rasul Douglas getting a nice pick. Uh, to do that without Cox and Hicks and McLeod and all those corners, unbelievable. Uh, and I'm just going to say this, and don't hate me, but everyone that was shitting on me about Derek Barnett's preseason sacks haven't seen the kid. Haven't seen him. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, it's a little little disheartening that he's hasn't you know really... Even but st- but hey, but hold on, broadcast. but hold on, but hold on. All those statistics in the in the preseason, Kyle Scott. How many people were fucking coming at me for preseason stats? And to be I, fair, this, you reversed your opinion on that. Uh, I did. Oh, he long. showed some. <laughs> sure, but now we're sitting here going, "Yo, bro, it's been three weeks." But I would say this for anyone that Dallas Carson wins, like anyone that still goes, they don't know. You watch yesterday what a quarterback that could do everything versus. Eli Manning, who just sits in the pocket, and you know he those passes to Odell were catches that only Odell could make. But God, man, Carson Wentz, the runs, the eluding the sacks, he's freaking incredible. Like I'm so happy to have that guy. There's a lot to uh, there's a lot to unpack there. So I'll go. I don't think I I'm not. Gonna, we don't have to address them all. I think they're all separate talking points. I will say I agree with you on Wentz. Um, super impressive. Um, almost nothing to find wrong at all with his game yesterday, other than maybe that one deep ball. I guess it was to Alshon, which again he, he does not throw a good deep ball. Because I was screaming, I'm like, you keep running the ball, like take the deep shot, take the deep shot, and then they took it and. 
and uh, he's, he's not good at throwing that ball. Um, however, uh, total like total confidence and the sort of confidence where it was like you didn't even doubt him watching Aaron Rodgers in the late game yesterday and just like tear apart the Bengals in the fourth quarter was incredible. I don't, wouldn't say Wentz was that good, you know, it, late in the game, but he inspired that sort of confidence where it was almost like a given. You're like, this guy's going to put put us in a position to win the game. Uh, going backwards, Giants punters in a fourth quarter of a close Eagles game, shooting the bed, love it. Um, it but you know, still on the fourth, the fourth down call. Um, like the thing, what's incredible is Ben McAdoo outdumbed Doug. And if you go back to last season, the Eagles lost the game in New York because Doug Peterson left six points on the field and opted to go for it twice on fourth down. Didn't get in. The Eagles wound up losing by either three or. Or some some number less than six. Um, it's the exact opposite now, and it's like both coaches are trying to outdo each other with their stupidity. I mean, Ben McAdoo leaves obviously the six points on the board at the end of the first half. There does it again in the third quarter uh, when he's forced to go forward on forced to go forward on fourth and two, and they have no running game, so he has to throw to Sterling Shepard, and it's an incomplete pass. Those six points are are quite literally the difference in the game. Now you don't know how things progress if they make those points, and you know the, the game script isn't the same. But you get the point. Like they should have they should have won that game, and they should have won it partly because Doug Peterson's horrible, horrible decision to go for it there. The fact that he's claiming there's some sort of metric that told him to do that is is quite frankly bullshit. And to your point about him listening to the fans. I don't know if I wound up writing it in our prediction on the website last week or if I wound up editing out just because we were like, I wanted to be within two sentences or something. But I had written, I said, it is like, put your money on Doug Peterson running like over the top in the first quarter because everyone is clamoring for him to run the ball more. To the Eagles' credit, they ran it very well and sticking with the run made a lot of sense. But I 100% agree with your dad. Like, he is inside his own head. When you spend the entire week listening about how you don't run, and then you run like 60% of the, the plays in the first half, and then, um, I mean, um, the whole fourth quarter thing, like, uh, you know, you're citing the analytics because you, you feel like you have to tell people that, hey, no, I'm not as dumb as you think. Like, no doubt the fans are in Doug Peterson's head, and that that is scary. Like, I hate to be... I don't want to be down on this loss, but I just I'm, that fourth quarter call, uh, the fourth down call was so crazy. I was watching the game with both of my brother-in-laws, and the one guy they went to they called the timeout because he thought the Eagles were just going to try and get them to jump off sides. So I started looking at my phone, I kind of stopped paying attention for a minute. Got you know got lost on Twitter, and then my one brother-in-law's like, "Hey, what do you think about them going for it here?" I'm like, "What? What are you? What are you talking about?" Like I was so stunned that it was actually happening. I couldn't, like, I'm trying to frantically compute, like, wait a minute, what am I missing here? There's over two minutes to go. They're up. Like, why, why would you go for it? It took a good 90 seconds to be like, holy shit. Like, I can't believe that just happened. I cannot believe that just happened. And by the way, the rule, the Giants should have scored a touchdown there. The rule where you have to hold the ball to the ground is, is so dumb. And I think the less particular restrictions you have on a catch in the NFL, the better, 
Put that call in the judgment of the official. Let the Remove the rules, how many steps, football moves, going to the ground. Let a human being look at it and say, did that guy catch the ball? Like, let's be honest here. Was that a catch? Yes, it was. Like, that's what the rules should be. The less rules on that, the better calls you're going to get. The Giants, the Giants should be mad because they threw a touchdown pass there, and it was a dumb call oh. to pass it, but it was a hell of a throw. Hold on. Like, uh, dude, the end of the Lions-Falcons game, it's a call that I can't even believe where this is what's crazy. So Sterling Shepard gets two feet in the end zone, falls, hits the Three. ground, and rolls Three. out. Right, right. So, so he didn't complete the catch, right? Meanwhile, Golden Tate, with nine seconds left, catches the ball. His knee is on the ground, and he gets touched. While he's in the falling, he hasn't even taken a step yet. And the ball is like a millimeter away from the end zone. And then he falls, but it's ruled not a touchdown because he because his knee was outside of it. Like, it's unbelievable. So he didn't even have to complete the catch. But so it wasn't a touchdown. Their rule is insane. It always is frustrating. Uh, I just quick little note here. Looking ahead at the schedule, they play at the Chargers next week, which is a very winnable game with how that team is playing. Carson Wentz will be under attack, but it's a winnable game. Then they host the Cardinals the week after that, a one o'clock game. So you have a West Coast team playing a one o'clock game on the East Coast, and we could beat the Cardinals. Then at Carolina, with all their injuries, home against Washington, which apparently is fighting for the NFC East lead, and then the Niners. I mean, those are five games in a row that they can win. That's another, why, that's another one o'clock game against an East, a West Coast team. This is why you don't do the schedule thing in April or whenever it is the schedule comes out, because there's always going to be teams who you think should be good, like the Chargers, or you think should be good, like the Panthers, and then you realize, like, hey, not as good as everybody thought. And it, it, it's such a it's such a fruitless exercise because nothing turns out. Like, it's – it's yeah, the Eagles, the, they're not going to win five in a row. They could go four and one in those games. Like, who knows? Oh, they, they're, they're a pretty decent team. And that's what makes um, – I think that's what is, like, the most disappointing thing is that they're a decent team that's always going to have the, the Doug Peterson restrictor plate. And I hate to be so down on it because if there's – Ben McAdoo is – is markedly worse. He looks like, like he. First of all, that guy looks ridiculous over there. Um, the hair. You don't, you don't like how he got rid of the middle part. I you mean uh, out. he had you the mean, Euron Greyjoy makeover of the uh, of the season. Kyle, I know you, you mean, don't know who that is yet, but no. you mean Fat Riley? <laughs> oh, I mean, I he looks like a big fat blueberry on the sidelines. Um, he, the slick like, back hair, the mustache. He's like going to be an extra in like. A, uh, a Grease stage production. It's very exciting. Summer Lovin' had him a blast. He's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, if there's anyone who inspires less confidence than, than Doug Peterson on the sideline, it's got to be Ben McAdoo. Um, what, what else should we talk, what else should can, we talk about can here? Can I just we, ask really, yeah. really quickly? So, Adam said, at Chargers, home versus Cardinals. At Panthers, home versus Redskins and 49ers. And you guys are, like, super hyped up now. And I guess I'm I'm trying to be the most level-headed, rational human being here. If the Eagles had lost this game, how would we have been looking at these next five games? Because I think it's an important thing to to really think about. Had they had that touchdown stood, the Sterling Shepard touchdown stood, or had Elliott missed the field goal and the Giants go on to win that game, are we really looking at the next five games as, as if it could be 
five winnable games or a four and one stretch. I'm not so sure. Like I, I don't know. I think this is where we get into that. You know, we we like our team. We get like really hyped up, and this is kind of like where I I get a little bit frustrated. Like I do not view this team at any point right now, especially with the amount of injuries they have, as like looking at these next five games and saying a they're winnable or b that like they could even go four and one. And maybe it's just me. I haven't watched film on most of these other teams, but like, I think we might be getting a little bit too hyped up because the Eagles won a game. I think. I think. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Be... Like maybe if they maybe if they lost, we would still say five winnable games. But I, I think we're a little bit, a little bit too uh, too hyped up. I agree with you. Um, I think we'd say five winnable winnable all the games are winnable like you know none of those are like a scary game i think what we'd be talking ourselves into is hey okay we're one and two but we can easily turn things around we got a pretty favorable stretch coming up here before a pretty brutal as of now pretty brutal stretch at the end of the season i think that's how we broncos and cowboys are the next two weeks that's that's rough yeah, I mean, so it's like... Um, yeah, but here, again, here's I, the thing that you missed, Russ. This is what I was talking about, is the fact that you get Arizona, San Francisco, and Denver at home. Three West Coast teams at 1 o'clock on the East Coast where there is a huge advantage, and the Chargers and the Carolina Panthers have suffered just as many injuries as the Eagles have. That's that's more, I was more commenting on the teams we're playing from a national perspective than the Eagles. And the fact that you're continually doubting this Eagles defense um, is a little is a little rust negative for me. It's a little more negative than I think you should be just because this defense has been unbelievable. And we can get upset about the coaching mishaps and we could say all that, but like the Chiefs are one of the only two undefeated teams remaining and we went down to the wire with them. And I think that Carson Wentz is nearing top 10 quarterback in the NFL status right now. So uh, here's my... I, I that that's a lot, um, and I it is. But I'm also going to say this: we you need to have adjustable expectations. Now I, I know what, what you're saying. Like Russ, I feel like you are someone that comes into the league and goes, "I wasn't expecting much. This is pleasant. It's fine." But now you are two and one. You are two and zero in the NFC East, which is enormous, especially with one of the other teams being two and zero. And you may have just eliminated the Giants from any serious contending. I am not going to take pressure off of Doug Peterson for a win. I am going to add pressure to Doug Peterson because now it's more meaningful. I mean, it's fair. I guess this is my only point. I, I guess is the defense has like I, I've been impressed by their ability to have backup step up and play significant minutes and and like it's something that Eagles teams in the last few years have not been able to do but if you're going to be missing guys like McLeod for an extended period of time I don't know if they will or you're missing guys like Cox who I think he's gone out what two of three games he's he's missed at least a decent chunk of time like I'm just saying that I think this injury bug continually biting them I think like it's one thing to have in a game situation you have backup stepping up and playing up to the moment. I think it's another when you have to actually build your game plan around your second, third, of even course. fourth string corners and safeties. That's I think that's where I'm at. And, and you know what? And until Look, I the see injury, the injury healthy, bug is going to bite everybody. Um, like the Chargers lost their best cornerback for the year in Jason Verrett. Uh, they lost Melvin Gordon for long stretches of yesterday. They've lost three or four offensive linemen to ACL tears. So it's hit everybody. But I will agree that 
of all the names of Jordan Hicks, of Rodney McLeod, of everybody. If the Eagles are missing Fletcher Cox, I am likely not picking them to win because he is truly a game changer for the Eagles. He, to me, is there's only Carson Wentz is more vital than him to this team. And, and I think that is a thing. But you know what? We'll wait and see. Injury report comes out on Wednesday. But Phillip Rivers almost threw five interceptions yesterday. So that's why I'm looking at this next game and going, man, this is this is what you want for a team is to play a quarterback that could that could put up balls for for you know for these Jalen Mills to fight for. Let me continue this negativity train for a second. Can somebody explain to me what happened to Legarrette Blunt in the second half of that game? Like I know that the narrative afterwards. That's a very good question. Is that, that Legarrette Blunt disappeared? I, I don't like that phrasing because Legarrette Blunt disappearing would mean that Legarrette Blunt did nothing with his opportunity. He didn't disappear. He was killed off from the show. It like the way that 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 second half game plan went down made no sense to me and and it even got to the point where Joe Buck and Troy Aikman who I thought were actually pretty pretty decent yesterday and were, Don't say were actually not, they're a good broadcast crew like, and I hate no, it when I'm just, people no, do I'm that saying, with Joe I'm Buck. saying when they when they do Eagles games, right? Like the the usual consensus is that Oh, the very anti-Eagles. I thought yesterday they did a good job. I think the the uh, Joe Buck call it on the field goal was solid. But, like, they even said throughout the game, where has LeGarrette Blunt gone? Why is he not in the game? There were Here's the other thing. This comes back to, I think, Adam's point about offensive coordinators becoming head coaches and overthinking the moment. How many times do, does a team need to go down to the goal line and not run the ball? They have, like, the, on that Giants drive, what was it, the third down call uh, was the... Should have been a touchdown, I think. Yeah. Uh, maybe, the, and and then fourth down, they decided to run it, and the Eagles stuffed it. I, I just I think one these coaches over overcomplicate things, and two a guy like Doug, when you've got Legarrette Blunt running angry, bowling people over, doing exactly what he's supposed to do, he's not in on every short yardage call, which is strange. Like even early in the first half, there was a fourth, uh, it was either a third or fourth in inches or something like that, and I think they had Sproles in, like. Sproles, who probably broke his arm, God rest his soul. Like, I, I don't get how Doug goes through a, a, a game plan planning on, I guess, having Blunt, playing him in the first half, and the second half just says, you know what, you've been successful, go have a seat. I want to go play Smallwood, or I want to get Clement in. Like, um, I, I don't get it. it yeah, so I, I agree with you. I'm glad you brought up the run because I think that was the that's the second biggest story here. Uh, regardless of, the, of Doug's reasons and motivations for running the ball, um you know perhaps perhaps you know following the wisdom of the crowd it worked and it was working really well in the first half and it was working really well all game and it's sort of counterintuitive against what is a really good defensive line and all the credit in the world of the eagles all the credit in the world of legarrette blunt as the resident legarrette blunt hater i will stand up and say he played outstanding yesterday and i was hoping for more of him in the second half and to russ's point he he disappears and i don't know like I, I, to me, I'm of the philosophy, and I know the Eagles ran a, a couple times. They ran the same play twice in a row, and, and uh, Aikman even remarked on it because it was working. And uh, you can't run the same play 50 times in a row, but like you can keep, just keep feeding LeGarrette Blunt, like feed him until they stop him. So unless Blunt is so fat and out of shape that he just couldn't hang in that heat in the second half, which I don't think was the case, like I don't get why he's not on the field. At no point until the last drive, again— was this a game where you shouldn't have been continuing to run the ball? The Eagles had the lead most of the time. It would have made all the sense in the world for him to be out there. 
I don't know why you abandoned him. But give the Eagles credit for moving the ball. All of their runners. I mean, Smallwood looked good. Clement looked good. Sproles looked like Sproles until he got hurt. And Blunt was fantastic. And I think what people saw yesterday from Blunt is that not only is he a bruiser who can move the line and run with some power, but where he's really kind of dynamic is once he gets past the line into the second level, um, he can move for a big guy. And he has some moves. And he's, he's a pretty dynamic runner. So... You know, like credit to him. I don't know how often we're going to see that, but I was—I thought the run game uh, was outstanding. What was your what was your other point there, Russ? Because I—I meant to address something was, else. About I think the run about game. like the not the not running on fourth and short, or like third and short, like the coordinators or head coaches overthinking, just simplistic things. I think that was my second point. That might not have been the one you were going. For. Yeah, no, it wasn't the one um, I was going I, for. I've got I've got one other point because I have to get going. But the the other point and and I guess issue I have is I know that the Eagles do not have a caliber cornerback right now healthy to hang with Odell. So I'll, I'll put that aside. Like, Darby would have been your best guy. So I get that. And the Eagles' corners were, were, were playing really soft on the receivers. They were giving plenty of room for those guys to get up to speed. I get it. My issue is, and this is, again, where I say the difference between saying a guy disappeared versus he was disappeared by his coach. Alshon Jeffrey in the game. I know he's being shadowed by the top corner uh, by the Giants. Was it Jenkins? He gets eight targets on the day. Now, this is maybe the, the one spot that I find the most frustrating. I want to see an offensive game plan where you are actually trying to get the ball to Alshon Jeffrey. Like, I don't think eight targets in a game, even being shadowed by the best corner on the other team, is enough for him. Ten targets go to Zach Ertz. Makes sense. Ertz is a mismatched guy. He's a, a mismatched dream for the Eagles. Torrey Smith gets five targets. He brings in four of them. I Like, Alshon, okay, it's it's second on the team in targets, but, like, I, I'd like to see more. I'd like to see more creative sets or something to get the ball in his hands in open space. And I don't think to this point they've done it. I don't think they've done a good enough job. And, and by the way, when they got in the red zone uh, – I think it was Buck and Aikman were both, you know, they both kept using the Telestrator to circle in on Alshon Jeffrey, saying what a valuable weapon he is in the red zone, and and he wasn't used. I mean, aside from the final play that set up the field goal, and I think he drew the one pass interference call near the end zone. Like the, it wasn't a big day for him, and it ha- there haven't really been big days or like big breakouts, and maybe maybe we shouldn't expect it. Like maybe my my whole mindset is totally wrong on it, but. You know, a number one receiver, I, I still want to see them rise up to the moment. I know he's not the same kind of player that Beckham is. Beckham is is his own insane, crazy monster. But, you know, like, I am a little Russ, bit but over the first two weeks, he's seen Janoris Jenkins and Josh Norman, two of the first three weeks. So, I, I'm... That's... No, like, I, look, I'm not saying... You that forgot ex- Marcus Peters, who might be better than both of them for the there, Chiefs. There you go. Yeah, I'm I, just I, saying I, that, like, I, I want to see Doug be able to create something to get the guy the ball. I know he's going to be shadowed. I'm just saying... That like from a number one receiver perspective, there are other teams that have number one receivers who get matched up every week against the number one corner for the other team, and they still manage to to have a coach that gets them in, in a position to make plays. I think that's the only fair. issue that I think I have, and and I, yeah, I'm like I'm not expecting him to go out and be to every week. I'm just you know I I'd like to see maybe a little bit better play calling by Doug and get your maybe your best receiver receiving option outside of Ertz, the ball, and, and like that's it. But anyway, um, decent win. I'm still going to be negative, but you know, you you guys enjoy. I know, 
it's weird. Like, I, why am I the negative one today? Oh, I don't. I think it's twenty-seven. I'm challenging has done you that for that me. mantle as well. The other I thing, we'll see you, Russ. All right, the, I'll the see other you thing, virus. I want to point out is the breaks. The Giants. The, the Giants got a lot of. The Eagles got a lot of breaks here. First of all, uh, Wentz gets bailed out. We t- you know, Wentz doesn't throw a good deep ball, and the Eagles get bailed out once or maybe even twice on pass interference calls that, that probably weren't going to be catches anyway. That was huge. You get the Giants with the quasi-shanked punt late in the game, and then you also get that weird call that would have been a first down for the Giants, and one of their linemen held one of the Eagles who was running off the field, and Buck and Aikman were sort of amazed that they've never actually even seen that called, and that prevents them from having an opportunity to score a touchdown on their final scoring drive. Like, a lot broke in the Eagles' favor. Say nothing of the fact that McAdoo leaves six points on the board. And I think, like, for all the euphoria about the win and the long field goal and Wentz looking like a a bona fide veteran and the running game looking outstanding and the defense for three quarters looking outstanding, like, there's a lot to like yesterday. But it... There was a there like you play that game out ten times or a hundred times, seventy of those times I think this morning we're sitting here lamenting all the all the things the Eagles um, you know did wrong or uh, lamenting a a painful loss and I think that's why our our conversation today is probably not as sunshiny as as people might have hoped like am I too overboard here? No, I mean this is why I I thought Eagles favored by six was crazy. You know, that's why I said it's a three-point win is what makes sense here. Um, I think, you know, McAdoo, I think I am celebrating the Giants' demise more than I am the Eagles' victory because I know how fragile it was. Um, because when it's completely ripped away from you, when you're up 14 nothing in the fourth and it feels like it should be a lock, and it's completely ripped away in three plays within like four minutes, uh, you you see how fragile it all was. Um, and I think also the running attack, it felt out of spite, you know, like super happy to see it. But like there was part of me that when I saw LeGarrette Blunt, it made me more angry about last week against the Chiefs. And, and that was the irony of it is here I am I'm, and every run that he's busting through and, and, and making guys miss and running over people, I'm going – they needed that against the Chiefs. That's what was unbelievable. Um, I know we haven't talked about it yet with Jeffrey Lurie uh, and his comments and going down for the anthem and all that. Um, I'm going to do this on Sims and Lefko later, but I actually charted all of the owners' statements and what they did because I'm going to try and hold the owners accountable. Um, but I thought the Jeffrey Lurie statement... Um, he was one of, I believe, six or seven people uh, of six or seven owners that were actually on the field um, for it. Joining Dan Snyder, uh, the Ford uh, uh, Firestone owner, uh, Stephen Ross of the Dolphins, Woody Johnson of the Jets, Shahid Khan of the Jaguars, and Alex Spano of the Chargers. And the problem that I have with Lurie, look, I'm, I, I think the fact that he stood with Malcolm Jenkins, who raised his fist, was the right person to stand by? Let me. Uh, I, I'm not going to interrupt you here, but I have the photo yeah. in front of me. So from left to right, I, I thought the image was perfect here. From left to right, looking at it, Jason Peters, Don, Jason Peters, black NFL player, Don Smol- Smolensky, white NFL executive, 
white female Philadelphia police officer, Brandon Graham, black NFL player, Jeffrey Lurie, white NFL owner behind him, Malcolm Jenkins, black NFL player with his fist in the air next to him, Chris Long with his arm on Jenkins. Like we, we could talk about this. I thought the visual was well done. And like that, you know, clearly that was a thought out um, photo. Of course. Op, but and that's, and that's honestly, good. Kyle, the thing where the photo is worth a thousand words. Um, I get it. Uh, I am always curious though about the words and the problem that I have with Jeffrey Lurie's statement is what I had with a lot of the owner's statements. Um, it never mentioned the word president. It never mentioned the word Trump. It never, it never mentioned the fact that it was called for owners to fire people. It never said that he wouldn't fire, suspend, or anything. It did mention great respect for the national anthem, division, and conflict. It never mentioned what the conflict was. It never said what the issue was. It just said division and conflict, thus addressing nothing and saying that football is the great unifier. The image was great. The image is for the owner. The statement lacked a statement. And that's my issue with all of this is it was a lot of owners on the sideline on Sunday going, we have a lot of conflict and divisiveness. We need to come together. But it never addressed what it was. And I know that this is a loaded thing for a lot of people. And the fact that he was even down there is upsetting to some. I'm just saying that I think it's very ironic that, Kyle, I'll give you some of the statistics that I'm going to bring up later. Of the 32 owners, how many of them do you think said the word Trump in their statement? Two. Two. You nailed it. Wow, really? Yeah, the Pagulas of Buffalo and Shahid Khan of Jacksonville. Okay. Of the, of the 32 owners, how many even said the word president? Uh, none. Ten. Oh, wow. Okay. But that's what I'm saying is I went through and I read all of these statements and Jeffrey Lurie was in the, the, the majority of them, which was, I respect the national anthem. There's a lot of division and conflict. Football is a great unifier. I don't know what that means, Kyle. So, all right. So, yeah, I mean... This is a, a certainly a loaded topic. Um, of course, but let me just rephrase to this. If the president came out and said, blog runners in Philadelphia, if you have a, a guy that writes for your website that doesn't stand for the flag, you should fire them. And then you release a statement that goes, there's a lot of division and conflict right now. Our blog posts unify people, but we do respect the anthem. And you never say that you're not going to fire your 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 blog entry guys, like your writers. I think that's like, pretty implied. Like I don't think that even deserves a response to be like, "Hey, yeah, I'm not going to take the president's advice and fire fire my NFL players." Like I think that's implied in the fact that they're putting out a statement and standing on the field, arm arm in arm with the guy. I know it's a photo op, but you know, a statement too is is even more perfectly crafted to what you want it to be so even the most cynical guy on earth i'm not so sure you could say well because they didn't say i'm not following your very specific advice i'm pretty sure that's like implied when you release release a statement following all right let me get your take then let me get your take then on what mike brown of the bengals said football this is his entire statement football and politics don't mix easily 
Fans come to NFL games to watch great competition on the playing field, and that's where our focus should be. That's it. Yeah, that's not a good statement. It's it's not a good statement. Um, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with your sentiment. I think uh, you know I, I don't think it has to mention any one specific certain thing. That particularly is just not a it's not a good statement. Whoever the, whoever the PR person responsible for that is. Uh, it's Cincinnati. A, I don't think he has PR people. <laughs> hey, look, so this is a loaded thing. I, I'll say this: like, uh, there's people on both sides of this issue. Um, both sides. I have, you know, friends and friends of friends who are who are cops, and like no one in my immediate family, but um, extended family and um, friends and acquaintances. And you know, I see what they put on Facebook, and they tend to be very anti these displays, and understandably, uh, you know, because this all started. With, it was all a Black Lives Matter protest about police brutality, and it has sort of grown. That's the thing here. Like when they say divisiveness, I think these protests have grown just in general to fight uh, race and bigotry and inequality from where they initially started with Kaepernick, which was a very specific thing about about um, you know police brutality and some of the shootings that were happening. Um, it's kind of ballooned into something larger than that, and somewhat impressively. 12 plus months after Kaepernick started doing his thing, here we are, and you have entire NFL teams not coming out of the locker room. Like, think in terms of a movement, wherever you stand on that, it's rather impressive that a year ago, one guy kneeling was a big deal, and now we have the entire Pittsburgh Steelers team, save for one guy who was in the military, staying in the locker room. Like, we've come a long, this thing has come a long way in a short amount of time. Um, So give it credit if you know, whether you agree with it or not, give it credit for catching on like it has. Obviously, the president, uh, Donald Trump's statements, um, took this thing to another level and kind of compelled players and owners and teams and even Roger Goodell. Like somehow Donald Trump made Roger Goodell seem like the good guy this weekend, which is which is pretty hard to do. Uh, it, it made the NFL community come together. And I personally d- thought what the Eagles did was a good way to address it, okay? I'm not really all for the the shows of display during the anthem and kneeling and staying in the locker room. I think we're in a really, I think it's there's a, there's something wrong with every country on the planet, and there's plenty wrong with the U.S. Um, however, the, you know, this is actually a pretty good place that gives a lot of these guys who are out there the opportunities that they would have anywhere else. And overall... The, the there's a lot worse places in the world, many, many worse places in the world. And I, and I, I understand why cops and why people in the military and just why a lot of other people would be upset at something like this. I don't really get upset. I, it's, it's not for me, but I understand why people are doing it. And when you hear some of the NFL players talk, I'm sympathetic to what they're trying to accomplish and what, you know, why they, feel that this is the only platform they have to use. So I get that, which is why I think what the Eagles did was the right way to handle it yesterday. You had an owner come down there, and again, I'm cynical too. I know it's a photo op, but I thought it was a good one. You have white cop, black player, NFL owner, standing arm in arm. No one is 
is saying, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to piss on the anthem and not stay in the locker room like the Steelers did, which I think was too far. You had everyone saying, hey, I'm with these guys. I'm an owner. I stand by my players. You know, you, the president, can't tell us what to, you know, tell me what to do. You shouldn't be telling me what to do. And I think Lori gave that wishy-washy statement on Kaepernick a few weeks ago that was woefully even made worse by the fact that Marcus Hayes misconstrued it, and he felt the need to really go out there and double down that he had his players' backs. And I thought it was an excellent thing. You had a a black military member singing the anthem. Like, they they hit, checked all the boxes, other than the fact that I think the flyovers mistimed and Fox forgot to show it. Um, But, you know, that's that's a nitpick. I thought it was well done. Um, You know, I don't know. That's my whole read on the issue. It's like, this is super divisive, and there's no right or wrong answer. I don't like how it's become the sort of thing where if you kind of disagree with it or it's not for you that you somehow are a bigot, I, I think the left goes too far in in like attacking people who dare to criticize it or have a different opinion on it. I don't think that's fair. And people in the media are super sensitive to the fact that if you just push that envelope just a hair too far, that you get the social justice warriors on social media just hammer you. And I think that you talk about like the public um, persuading Doug Peterson's decisions. I, I guarantee you this is what happens in the media and why the media leans even further left sometimes than it normally does because there's such a fear that you're going to say something wrong or or something's going to come out the wrong way and you're just going to get hammered and it's a no-lose and this has given rise to the Breitbarts and the Clay Travises and the Donald Trumps of the world like that dynamic is why those because someone is calling out what is happening there that said you know the other side of it is when you listen to these players talk and you listen to Malcolm Jenkins, and there's one player, I forget who it was, was crying yesterday, you know, talking about his kid and, you know, why he wants to, you know, show his kid that he stood up for something. You understand that, too, because a lot of these these guys grew up in underprivileged backgrounds, in, in areas where they, you know, they did feel like the deck was stacked against them. And then they saw someone who they knew killed by a cop or, or you know, police overreach. So there's there's two sides of this. On the other hand, it's like, hey— like, you know, I, I, again, I have some cops in my extended family who work in West Philly and like three times a week, they are in situations where they can spiral out of control and, and result in them losing their lives. And they, you know, they have an itchy trigger, trigger finger because they too have families and they go into situations where nine times out of 10, it is, you know, it is, it is dangerous for them. And that's, I think how you have these, you know, these horrible incidents that occur where an unarmed guy gets shot, you have police officers who, who genuinely fear for their lives and are are scared when they go into these situations, and for good reason, because they, they deal with some crazy stuff. So I get both sides of it. I thought what the Eagles did was a nice way to sort of say, hey, we're all together, and the president, like, regardless of what you think of Trump's politics, like the guy's just, he's an asshole and an idiot. And I actually agree with like his tax plan. I want that. His is. Part of his anti-Obamacare stuff is someone who pays way too much for Obamacare insurance. I want that. Um, so I'm generally a conservative. But, like, I think the president just continuously shows how he's just he's just an idiot. Like, you can't call your own citizens sons of bitches. Like, like what is wrong with you? Sorry, that was a rant. But Yes, well, that's what happens when this topic comes up. <laughs> People feel the need to explain, like, every possible issue because they're afraid of going in one wrong direction because I understand yeah, it but because I, I, nobody honestly, wants to yell that like, but I'm just going to say that like, I just I get both sides I think um, 
the thing that no one's talking about is it, it still comes back to the the notion of the the uh, doing something during the anthem. I don't want to call it an anthem protest because they're not protesting the anthem. They're protesting something else. But I think the thing that is being lost right now is Trump did not call out. He called out the players, but he called out the owners for action against those players. And the reason why every owner, I believe, released a statement, like 95% of them, that included the word divisive and unify is because divisive means to cause dissension, to split. And you know what's really scary for an NFL owner? Their players truly unionizing. So when that contract is up in 2020, 2021, what I believe Trump just did is made it a 100% collective bargaining strike. Because every owner doesn't want divisiveness and wants to unify because they know that they have no power against a strike. They have none. And what, the, what Trump just told everyone to do is you should fire your players. You should fire them. They're not worth it. Fire them. And the players, I believe, after this are so emboldened by what just happened. Uh, the fact that seven or eight of the owners uh, financially supported Trump. Uh, three or four of them refusing to release a statement this weekend. Um, that there is such a huge divide right now. But just by saying there's conflict and this was divisive, no one is still talking about the issue that is at hand. That is Trump saying that while, look, while you think it's disrespectful or not, saying that you have to do something or you don't have your First Amendment right for free speech, that this is going to create a huge divide that I believe is guaranteeing a labor strike in about two to three years. That's what I think happened this weekend. That's an interesting extrapolation. I mean, they may have been headed that way anyway, but um, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's an interesting like next level take. My, my only rebuttal to that would be, I don't know if anyone actually takes what he says seriously. And obviously this was a campaign issue, but like, I don't know what I saw on Sunday is people taking it seriously. Yeah. I don't think, I think you're taking it like the fact, like this guy is such like an idiot. Like, of course we're not going to do this. And which is why, like, you know, you don't have statements that say, well, no, we're not going to take the president's advice because every, I think everyone is aware that he just, you know, he's just the, he's the old, the old guy cable news, news watcher who happened to become president and just kind of says, you know, he's like the hot take artist of all time. And I know this was a campaign thing, like, don't take him seriously, you know, people are, take him literally, don't take him seriously, all that stuff, whatever that phrase was. And, you know, then he wound up becoming president. But it's like, you know, every other president or leader around the world, when they say something, it is, it is generally pretty well vetted and considered. And, in many cases, like you, not that he was gunning for like a labor thing, but there are presidents or leaders or, you know, who, when they make statements like that, they know that they have outcomes and they may lead to an outcome like a strike. Not, I'm not talking about football here, just in general. Trump is just saying shit. And I think that's what people like need to keep in mind here is that he, he, there's no strategy behind. It. He's not like, oh, yeah, we're going to sow a labor conflict in the NFL. He, he's just saying shit to rile people up at a, at a rally. And that's what it's what but the good thing about it is, is he's just saying shit. The bad thing about it is when you're the president and you're just saying shit, you have you can cause like like domestic strife. <laughs> so 
it's a it's a problem because you have someone who just says shit in office and and now you're going to have like this is going to lead to you're going to have more civil unrest you know you have a guy threatening to wipe a country off the planet like like these this is why when you know you have to be considered as a leader because even things you think when they come out like you're inevitably going to piss someone off no matter what you say which is why you have to try to toe the line and be respectable of, of all people you're presiding over it's it's just it's such a it's such a crazy like it's just so crazy how we got here um and yeah but like we can't but kyle like just saying he just says shit and then it's crazy like like i have a question why is he doing like speeches like he's not running for anything i i, I agree with you i'm not i'm not disagreeing oh, no. like and, it's goofy he's, thing, he's like, doing I, campaign rallies three years out it's 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 crazy you know why is he doing it the real reason because he gets off on it like that's the real reason and i agree it's a problem like it, it is a huge problem when he has a president who just says shit like over the course of a weekend he called nfl players sons of bitches he called for the owners to fire those players and he threatened to basically nuke another country off the planet just this weekend like it's so crazy it it's hard to not just sit here and kind of shake your head like holy shit like this is this is nuts it's a problem i agree with you it's a problem yeah the good thing is he's he's inciting a a a, a possible nuclear war and a riot while also while also trying to get a health care plan passed while also not addressing an absolute destruction in Puerto Rico. Look, the thing is, is that like whatever your politics are, you can admit that what is being done right now is creating a huge issue in this country. And it's, it's, it, 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 it I don't, you can't say it needs to be stopped because this is how we got here. But Kyle, like, I'm just going to share my own personal opinion and I don't care about the backlash because I just can't anymore, which is like, I'm not okay with him just saying shit and it being okay, you know, like, well, it's not that, okay, but what that are you going to do? That, that's can't my be, point. that can't be the answer. Well, that's why for me, I am chronicling the actions of the 32 owners because there's nothing I can say that is going to impact the mindset of anybody. There's nothing I can say that will lead to change, but in history, you need to sometimes what really important people do you need to chronicle what they do because history will judge them when all is done after the fact. So for me, I'm going to follow the 32 NFL owners that are billionaires that are feasting off of the actions and uh, accomplishments of people they, they employ that are well below, in my mind, market value for the rest of the sports. And so I'm really curious because... When I see what the Glazers have done and the actions they've made, the Haslam's that I see what they're doing, I'm gonna. That's what I'm gonna do, because I know that nothing I can say is gonna alter the mindset of other people. So we'll pay attention to the to the really really wealthy, because they're the people that I think can make change, and they're the people that helped fund the president to get to this point. Well said. That's just what I'm gonna do. Yeah, I mean, well like. Said. It's uh, it's an interesting time, but it's also a time where if you know what you believe, then do what you believe. If you truly are, if you truly are offended by something, then go and make a stand. Just my thing is, I'm tired of uh, the social media activism where you like your post and you you like a post on Facebook and you sit back in your chair and you feel like you accomplished something no matter which side you're on 
I just find it to be bullshit. That's just mine. But uh, Jeffrey Lurie felt the need to go out there and take the photo, uh, stand with Malcolm Jenkins, stand with Chris Long. The Eagles are 100% the team that is one of the teams that are out in front because of Jenkins and Chris Long and their willingness to speak. Uh, it all encapsulated a, a very big Eagles win, which is the reason we do this show, which is sports. Uh, they go 2-1 and one on the season. They are now 2-0 and oh in the NFC East. The Cowboys play tonight against the Arizona Cardinals in a game that they absolutely could lose because the Arizona defense, as you will see tonight, is very stingy. The Eagles will play the Chargers next Sunday. Uh, we will see if they are without Fletcher Cox, Jordan Hicks, Jason Peters. It looks like they will be without Darren Sproles. We're waiting to see about the corners and Rodney McLeod, but a huge win. Uh, and one, though, that still has a ton of question marks facing Doug Peterson. Kyle, anything else before I sign off? No, I, I, I hope my, my hope is that um, our, our conversation about the game came across well. And it's always it's always. Well, that's why we talked about that for the first 45 minutes. And, you know, no, but I mean, like, put- like this, that was awesome. Trust me, like that was that was an awesome win. Like the fact that we are. It's been a long time since we've had a truly exciting win around here, and I, I, I didn't want to take away from that. But, like, um, we've talked about this with Russ before, too. Like, when you sit down to say, all right, what are we going to do on the podcast, it's very tough to turn the game-winning field goal into a conversation. If you're sports talk radio, you could go out and you can have guys on the street and sing their Eagles songs, and, like, you can kind of celebrate it. For the podcast purposes, there's not much to discuss. Like, it was awesome. The, the Carson Wentz making that play to Jeffrey was awesome. The Giants kind of shanking the kick. Good stuff, but it's not really a conversation. So what are the things from the game you can discuss? And for me, it's like, okay, you know, there was a few very pivotal moments here, and bo- and they almost all centered around one of the two coaches doing something that didn't make a lot of sense and, and you know, actively hurting their teams. And it was like, which one, you know, which one just did less? Like, who was the less bad coach yesterday? And incredibly, it was Doug Peterson, and the Eagles won in, in thrilling fashion. So great win. You're 2-0 in the division. The Eagles will will have a legit shot now um, at the end of the season, I would think, to win the division as long as something doesn't go crazy. You know, you start off 2-0 and like this, you're 2-1, and they're in a good spot. Um, it's just, uh, you know, it's just, I, the, I, I, Doug Peterson's going to cost them games again, and it's going to be infuriating to watch because this is a team that could, you know, they're, they're good enough to win a not good division. Yeah, look, you're not being pessimistic. You're being realistic. What you watched yesterday is something that is going to continue for the rest of the season. This is this the true form of it. And I think that it's important as fans to not just be the one that celebrates the field goal for three straight hours, but to just like the coaches and the players would do, just like analysts will do, you sit down with the film and you rewatch it. And they're going to leave the game and they're going to go, man, Chance Warmack was really good. That's a plus. My coaching in certain decisions, was really bad. And hopefully he comes out and doesn't say that he defends those positions again. But, you know, like, we're just being realistic. This is not being pessimistic. People that get caught up in a 61-yard field goal and don't focus on an evaporated 14-point lead and questionable fourth down calls are not being realistic. And that's what we're going to be. We're, we have a long view. 
We're the same fans that are supporting the Sixers tanking because look at the pieces that it got us now. We celebrated the long view. So I'm not going to have some short-sighted, myopic view of a 61-yard field goal and go, Doug, you got the W and that's all that fucking matters. No, you're still not a good game-time decider. You still flounder in the clutch and your quarterback still saves your fucking ass. So... Like, yeah, we got the win. Now, now you're a two and one team. Congratulations. Don't fuck it up again because you've literally fucked it up in every game thus far this season. How awful how awesome was uh Joel Embiid celebration? Great. Great. But now I'm so concerned that Joel Embiid's gonna be hurt <laughs> and we've just been we're having this guy paraded in front of us and he doesn't even actually like play. Well, now I'm concerned about that. By Wednesday or Friday this week we should have uh, some more to talk about in that regard. So hopefully it's good news. Yeah, you got a birdie? No, no, but I mean camp oh. starts this week, so I think we're gonna oh, yeah. get some updates. Yep. All right. All right. A lot of ranting. Uh, Thanks for listening, guys. We love you. We'll be back Wednesday morning. Hit us up on Twitter at Crossing Broad, at Joy on Broad, at Adam Lefko. Holler at y'all later. Have a good day.